North Carolina. Okay. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And super excited about our guest today. Our guest today, we've been trying to get in touch with him for the past two months and highly in demand. And we were talking before the podcast started about synchronicity and how things align. Two months ago, on uh, March 18th to be in fact, was actually Forgive Mom and Dad Day. And in my opinion, we all have to forgive Mom and Dad at some point in our life. So even on June 2nd, two months later, which is my father's, I mean, my father's birthday, so i got to go through my own forgiveness. And we're going to interview our guest today. He is an author of two wonderful books. One is Letter from the Ashes and Ashes Forged into Manhood. And we often make jokes about, oh, well, I know I'm going to have an episode on Oprah to talk about my childhood. And our guest is no different. He was actually born on Friday the 13th. And while we watched it as a movie, his parents kind of judged him for that. But I'd like for him to go into more detail about that. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Wade Meadows to the podcast. Welcome, Wade. Well, thank you. It's good to finally yeah, get on here. With, yeah, thanks for being with us. Yes, I'm glad you can make it. And so uh, as as I was saying that many people have bad childhoods. I mean, you can go to any bar, restaurant, and meet somebody, and probably that first half hour is going to go over how bad their childhood was. But yours is somewhat different. So I'd like for you to talk a little bit about uh, your childhood, but you also have written books about it, which I think are phenomenal, and that could have been a healing aspect as well. So um, right. take it away. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we grew up into, uh, in a very abused home, and I honestly didn't realize this. I know that sounds funny. Um, until later years of my life, and I think – I don't know, I think God protected me from knowing it to a degree. But uh, um, my mother, on the day I was born, Friday the 13th, uh, she informed my father that uh, there was no luck for me. I had nowhere to go in my life um, because I was just bad luck, and she was sorry I was born. And um, and that was the beginning of my life. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then we went through – you know, I, I I won't go through everything, but anyhow, we went through some times where, you know, everybody says that they could pick out their switch. That's true, but I had to, uh, it was a little different sometimes for me because the reason we had to pick out our switch, and you almost could say you could pick out your ha- uh, your hanger or you could pick out uh, the, uh, the belt. I mean, there was all sorts of things that she used on us that, um, you know, and you just couldn't set her off. And uh, that was a, a big issue, and um, and it was a battle. My brothers was a little older, and my sister was older than me, but she took care of me. <laughs> and we kind of protected each other, I guess you could say, and um, because uh, she lost her eye from a game played outside. Um, it destroyed her eye, and my mother was more worried that we bothered her during her uh, uh, soap operas then it was to find out that uh, my sister's eye was bleeding and we had to get to the hospital. And uh, because of the whippings, uh, when we got to the hospital, she uh, warned me in detail that I better not say a word to anybody. And um, so that's, I guess you could say, the atmosphere we, we grew up in. And that was consistent through all of it and, um, until um, 
well, until I, I moved out, but the move out was a little different because my sister was the, I guess you could say, only Christian in the, in the family, if that's okay to say. And then, um, um, and then we had a house fire. I mean, we, we, had, we struggled in different ways. And a week before we had the house fire, we had a bonfire. And at the bonfire, people were putting their hands on each other's shoulder and telling the group why you know, they loved this person or appreciated this person. And um, it, it was neat because the reason I was 14 years old and my sister was 17, and I was able to stand up, put my hands on her shoulder, and tell the people why she was so special to me. Um, she would read to me at night, even at 14. I mean, she would do anything because we, uh, we would, I don't know, watch out for each other and cradle each other when it cried and so on. And so I was able to tell her I love her, and then we went home, and we both were so sick for, for the next week. And so on that following Sunday, um, which happened to be um, Groundhog's Day, um, I, was, I was told that I couldn't go to church because I was just getting over this. And, and, um, but the next thing I knew, they were bringing my sister back, and apparently they, in the middle of the night, they had to take her to the hospital, and she had... Uh, double ear infections, I mean, ear infection in both ears, and she was real sick. And so they, you know, gave her the medicine to, to dope her up, I guess you'd say. And I put her in my bedroom where there was a fan, and my brother, he worked third shift. And um, with the fan, because we didn't have air conditioning or anything, then. <laughs> and in uh, um, that way she can't hear, and we could, you know, she could get a little piece. And that night... Um, I went out on the porch, and uh, and there was a um, make a long story short, there was uh, there was a house fire, and um, my father went through the house waking everybody up. Uh, he was worried about mother first because she were she had two um, sleeping pills, and then she yelled in the room. My brother jumped up, and everybody got outside. But that's when they realized that Teresa was still in the ho- in the house, and. Um, you know, my brothers and I talked, and they said that it was really worse on Teresa, our, our growing up, because the reason, um, which she had to deal with, because the reason, just because her eye, she had lost her eye, she had a patch on her eye, and if it leaked or anything from, you know, a cold or anything, then uh, she was told uh, how ugly she was and how it needs to be cleaned up immediately. Otherwise, she would have been whipped. And um, I remember, you know, one time um, even going to my great-grandmother's, I mean, I had to use the restroom, and you're not allowed to stop at a place and ask for, to go to the bathroom. I mean, that just don't work. And so um, I did. I said, I really have to go. And they stopped the car, and I, we were out in the middle of nowhere, and she demanded that I, you know, go to the bathroom there. Well, you know, when that happens, then you can't do nothing. <laughs> and, and so then, um, you know, so she, so I was whipped because she thought I was lying. And we sat back, I went back in the car, and I soaked my pants, basically, between now and then, and getting to my great-grandmother's. And um, uh, we just had to put the window down, and I wasn't allowed to change clothes or anything. And here I'm meeting the rest of my family that I usually don't see. But uh, 
so that was examples. Teresa, like I said, she she died in the fire. Uh, they went back looking for her. Uh, what they understand is, is she woke up in the middle of the fire, and my brother went in and yelling for her. He didn't know that she was in the bed across from him at the time and yelling for her. And she apparently woke up and opened the door. And when she opened the door, it, uh, it, there was a backflash of the fire. And it set my brother's back on fire. And then it uh, hit my sister to where she had third-degree burns, you know, top to bottom, and she was unconscious on the floor. And um, so she, so she, you know, that was, they found her later and they, they brought her out. They said that the house got 2,000 degrees. And then, um, uh, and so I was across the street. I was scared. I ran across the street when I got out of the house. And they, uh, they wouldn't let me out because they said that they found Teresa and that's all they would tell me. And um, so here I was walking through <laughs> the middle of the street. It's winter. Um, all I had was my robe on because I had went to take a bath and I happened to forget my uh, towel. Otherwise, I would have been in the bathtub during this. And uh, so I went out to get my towel, and that's, when, like I said, when everything happened. Mm-hmm. At the funeral home, uh, someone asked me, they said, well, if you loved your sister so much, then why didn't you save her? Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we talk about forgiving, um, there was a lot of years that I had to forgive myself. Um, and a lot of years that I had to deal with, I don't know, my mom and dad, because dad was there, but he, uh, he never protected us. Um, it was always, I think, a threat to him that if he tried, that she would take the kids away and he would never see us. And so his, his response was to get protection. I mean, you know, to stay there at least for he could see us. But, uh, a few days after the, funeral, I walked back into the house, and everything, of course, was destroyed. But I walked back into Teresa's room, and for that Christmas prior, we had everybody bought different versions of the Bible because I guess they didn't know what to give her. I don't know, because, you know, she was a Christian, and they, they just thought that was cool, but no one else was, which was interesting. But, uh, and there was a hope chest in the middle on her, another dresser, and I opened the hope chest, and that's where I guess I got my book from Letters from the Ashes because the reason in that hope chest in separate envelopes was a letter to each member of the family. And in the letter was basically a prayer to God asking that we would know him as she did. And um, it was a little more personal. I mean, to me, it was, you know, my baby brother and, uh, you know, and how – I need to protect it and so on. And, you know, someone said, did she know she was, she's going to die ahead of time? I, I don't know. I mean, I know that was prayers in there, so I, I really don't know. I can't tell you that. But um, my mom, um, so cold. She was so cold about the whole thing, even when she died. I mean, it just, just didn't affect her so much. You know, you would think so. And so when I realized everything that happened, because the reason – I t- what was really weird is I took care of my mom the rest, the rest of her life um, because my brothers wasn't there. And um, because of everything that happened, they had nothing to do with her. And I guess out of, I don't know if I want to use the word pity, but out of, uh, I felt sorry for my mom as I grew older because the reason 
I don't think she realized how she was. Um, I don't think, I think she was hurt so much in her childhood that it just transferred onto us. And, um, and I would take care of her. She was as mean as could be. I never had her in our house, stay in our house because it, we knew, I knew it would be a problem. Uh, she wouldn't take care over it, but it would be a problem. And so I always made sure she had a place to stay and uh, she had food and she was taken care of. But probably, uh, I don't know, several times I would take her flowers and um, she would just blast me and say, why would you bring these? You never see me, so why would you see them? Well, she never seen anybody else's kids. I mean, and the other kids. <laughs> no one had anything to do with her. <laughs> but, um, and I told her once that uh, I forgave her. And um, I don't think she understood why. I don't think she felt she did anything wrong. But I guess that was a God thing. I mean, it's something between me and God, and I just needed to forgive her and move on because there was nothing I could do. It was the past. And same with my dad because the reason I harbored, I guess you could say, a lot against him because he's seen everything that was happening. I mean, he wasn't blind to it, and uh, um, but he would stay in the other room, you know, and watch his news or whatever while we were getting whipped or yelled at or hit um, across the face. I mean, it just depends what you said to her that would set her off. And, um, and, and so it really bothered me for years. And after Teresa died, um, me and my dad got close. I was married, and my, my dad and I got close somehow, and, you know, and we talked, and I told him that you know, I forgave him, and, you know, and he even said he was sorry. And that's when I found out that she was using the, uh, the opportunity of taking the kids away from him, and he just felt that may happen. And he was too too worried about that, uh, that he didn't want to lose that. And um, so that's where we were. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a lot to unpack. And, and, and thanks for sharing that story. Um, I know <laughs> that when you when you relive it, it's kind of like you, you're reliving it as you tell it. So um, the more you tell it, maybe it, it's, it's uh, therapeutic just in sharing that story as well. So thanks for sharing it with our with our listeners. Yeah, and with the with letters of uh, the ashes, it was interesting because someone asked me why I wrote it. I wrote it with the uh, uh, a guy. I uh, put a name a name to it, uh, Ryan Anderson, and it was so e- more easier for me to tell the story from third person than it was for me just to say it because the reason because the hurt's still there, and that kind of amazes me. But it is. I mean, I used to you know, have uh, dreams about this and, I mean, nightmares about this all my life until, um, until really, uh, I don't know, uh, God, God get a, got a hold of me and um, we, I was able to put those nightmares behind me. So. Mm-hmm. And, and looking at present day, you know, it's always a challenge when it's your own story, so I appreciate what you're saying about looking at it from third person. But looking at it from 2019, from a 2019 standpoint, uh, it sounds like there may have been uh, mental health issues. Was your mom ever tested for mental health? Yes, I heard. I mean, later I found out that she was in the hospital a few times for it, and her mother was uh, was actually um, given shock treatments. And you mm-hmm. see, and I didn't know any of this until I was older. And um, but you know what I've learned from it 
I guess you could say, is, you know, forgiveness. But I've learned that um, we have to watch as parents or as people, we have to watch what we speak into each other's lives. Because the reason my mom had told me I was going to be a failure, uh, she said that I would not make anything of myself. So if I got a bad grade, it was pretty much, well, see, I told you. There was no help to get it better. Um, I, I was discouraged and just hated school because that's how it was. And um, that's where I realized that, you know, she spoke everything in my life, and I believed it because you, you grow up believing your parents. And so I struggled the rest of all my life. And, um, and I realized that whatever you say to your child, you have to understand you're, you're making their life by it. I mean, if you put in good things of, wow, look what you're going to achieve, you're going to put anything, you could achieve anything you put your mind to, congratulations on the, you know, uh, grades. I mean, if you always look at it that way, then you're going to get success out of that child because the reason you've put in them the positive. Um, and, and that's so important to me. I mean, because of the reason if you even have a neighbor or you come across somebody and you're talking and you said, yeah, you know, you know, I don't know, you're, you're just like I thought you would be, uh, you know, because you was always a bully or whatever the case may be, well, then you turn around and you've spoke that in their life. I mean, and they continue to be however they were because the reason that's how everybody believes. And to be able to go back and turn that around is, is a, it's a job because the reason I fight today some beliefs or some things that she said to me that I have to shrug off and remember that's not who I am. And, um, but it all starts as a child. It all starts with what do we say to our children to start it off with. And on, on one hand, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Wade, with that. But it sounds like for, from a third-dimensional standpoint that when we experience the contrast, that's what actually propels us to the next level uh, there's uh, the other side of the coin. If I was always coddled, I may not be able to handle any uh, upheaval that may come into my life, you know, as I get older. So, oh, sure, you know, sure. No, I agree with that um, completely. I'm not saying that you should not allow them to live or have, have experiences, but I am saying that you need to prepare them in the respect that they can, you, you know, they can stand up to somebody and so on. I mean, and will it happen that they don't or they get beaten down? Sure. But then what are you going to say? You deserve that because you didn't learn it? No. You're going to say, okay, let's pick it up and let's, you know, go back at it again if it happens or this is what we need to do. It's teaching. It's not saying that to coddle them. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, you People have to, you know, if it was up to me, and I'm probably wrong for saying this, but the draft would still be there because the reason I think that taught men to be men, and that's just me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I expect I want people need to grow up and to learn the hard way to a degree because that is how you learn, and I agree. But, you know, I just think, like you said, there's a flip of a coin, but I think there's a uh, balancing act to it too. And uh, I would also think, you know, again, from 2019, people would say, uh, if it was, you know, 1950 or 1960, how dare you? You, you don't, <laughs> you didn't know sure. what we had gone through. But there sure. was a time where people looked at Friday the 13th as bad, like, oh my goodness, and you really right. felt the brunt brunt of it. So it's kind of like, 
superstition and, and things that, oh. you know, that's not really thought about today, but that was a part of a society back then, you know? Oh, horribly. And my mom used to, we used to have um, the um, Ouija board, you see, and they would use that and it was funny, but kind of weird as I look back at it, it would not work if my sister came in the room. Hmm. And, uh, but, you know, my uh, friend of ours, uh, friend of the families, and my mom uh, would always use it. And they actually, ha- I used it a few times. But, um, you know, and that's stuff that even now I think today is a, is a something you have to look at. But uh, back then, just like superstition, I mean, that was something you just don't mess with. And, um, but it was something known in our house to be used. It's interesting. Let's put an asterisk right there because, you know, as a disclaimer, I think we know now that Ouija board is is really low energy. I mean, their energy is always around. There's all types of energy. But the fact that it wasn't working when your sister came into the room shows that higher lower vibrations cannot be around higher vibrations. Yeah. So just wanted to make that disclaimer. I think David wanted to jump in. Yeah. so, Wade, I heard you, you know, you were describing your childhood and, and, and some of the things that your mom did. Were there any, any warm moments where she, you know, showed love or positive stuff, or was it just all, like, you know, the abuse that you were talking about? I mean, she would have, every once in a while, she would have a nice dinner. I'd say every once in a while because a lot of times she didn't. Um, and she would have this family it was. I mean, we had these times where it was nice, but it was very in between. Um, she couldn't stand her mother. Uh, she couldn't stand my father's mother. Um, and so it just was, everything was about her. I mean, if she got a job to help dad, uh, one time she got a job and went to the factory and to, to get money and help help the family. And instead she bought a, uh, oh, what is that called? You put all your... Uh, she, she made things uh, out of uh, clay, and then she put them in the fire or whatever to um, – I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it. But anyhow, and after that, she, I mean, it was an investment of, I think, about $1,500. Well, as soon as she got it, she quit her job. And so Dad had to turn around and pay the $1,500 because she didn't pay it all. And, you know, and that's how it was all the time. Anytime she got a job, that's how it turned out to be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but there was very few times that I could tell you that she, she was like that. Uh, she did, she treated me like that uh, maybe for a few hours um, the day of the funeral, uh, my sister's funeral. But excluding that, no, I, I've never seen too many times where I could remember and say, wow, that was a good time. Mm-hmm. And it was that was for all all just you and your sister. You said you had what one or two brothers. I have two brothers. Um, okay, my, so my other other brother. I mean, I almost would say everybody. I don't know so much about my oldest brother uh, because he was you know uh, seven or eight years older than I was. So I'm not quite sure how it affected him. I do know for a fact uh, my second uh, brother was affected just as much as I was. Um, there was, uh, she was actually, you know, uh, molested by the TV repairman in our home. 
Um, and so, so yeah, everybody was treated that way. When my brother went to college, he he went for therapy actually too, and he came home because they advised him to, and he sat down, mom, in the in another room, and said, uh, "Look what you've done to us. Look everything you've done. You know, can you believe? You know, what is this of a mom and so on?" And for a second, she cried and apologized. But as soon as that was over with, she went right back into her regular mode of yelling, screaming, or whatever. She, uh, you know, demanded him to get out. And I was not aware of that conversation until years later. Hmm. That's interesting. So what was – let me ask you, do you have children? I do. I have two daughters. Yeah, two daughters. So did your did did your daughters know your mother? They knew her. Um, I mean, one at one point, like I said, I really didn't. I just remember all my past or whatever because we moved. My wife and I and two daughters, and uh, my dad had passed away, and so I told my mom, you know, if you want to move, we'll get you a place over there. You could help babysit, you know, and all that. And um, we got her moved, but she refused to have anything to do with her grandkids. Mm. And, you know, look, looking back at it now, I guess I'm glad. But, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I don't know how she would have been necessarily. I mean, the older she got, of course, the softer a little bit she got, but not much because, like I said, the last time I seen her, she uh, – uh, I had brought her flowers then, too, and um, she almost cussed me out about it, and I was like, fine, you know, whatever. And then when she passed away, um, really, I got a lot of memories back then because I watched her die. Uh, uh, and when I called my brothers and I said, uh, you know, mom passed away, they were like, and? And I said, well, <laughs> wow. I said, there's, yeah. there's no there's – no, uh, insurance you know what do we do and they says well we're not going to hold a service because no one would come and they said so uh we'll just have to um cremate because that was cheapest way to go and um i don't know if that was it was hard for me because i you know i felt sorry for my mom at that point you know what i mean and so maybe i don't know i think and plus I look at it, too, as I was the baby of the family, I guess you would say. But I always yearned for the love of a mother, always. Um, I would, I felt, I felt, I I won't say I felt bad, I felt jealous. I guess when I hear of other people and uh, at that time when I was a child, and boy, you come and mom made this meal and we did this together and so on just ripped me apart because the reason that wasn't my uh just wasn't my experience i i had wished i had a mother like that and so later later as an adult you found out that you that's the kind of childhood your mother had was 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 abusive yes because my aunt tried to, I guess you would say, explain away everything that had happened. And she said, you have to understand, uh, your mom, she ran away from home. She was in a, chi- she was in a girl's um, school or whatever, and then she ran away, and her, her father um, was, they had divorced, so her father was in California. And if he told you to wake up, you better wake up right then, otherwise he was going to beat you with the belt. And I guess that's how she grew up. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I don't know all this history. Uh, my, like I said, my aunt has always told us stories to, I guess, 
you know, she always felt sorry for mom. Now, where my aunt was during all this, I'm not quite sure because the reason, well, if it happened to mom, why didn't it happen to you? What's going on? But, um, but she didn't run away, and she was not in a, a uh, girls' school or anything like my mom was. So I'm not sure if there was discipline problems. I, I have no idea. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I know her. And so when, I know, go, ahead. go ahead. The father, uh, no, I know I was, the, I'm, I'm listening. Oh, okay. No, I just have one more question. I was going to ask, from your point of view, what was the relationship between your mother and your father? How was that? <laughs> that was hard because the reason she uh, she always called him a mama's boy uh, because, honestly, even for me, it was the escape to go to grandma's house. Um, but uh, he always went over there because – Grandma would give him money or whatever to help with the bills and so on, and uh, but she she hated her, and so there was always that there. And honestly, they lived two different lives. I mean, he stayed in in you know the the living room, or he would work all day, and there wasn't a whole lot of conversation. And she'd go to bed early and so on. Very often, I do remember a few times where they took the weekend off and went to a hotel. So I mean, they did have. Everything was, I guess, livable for them. But um, from what I've seen, it wasn't very often. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just really interesting, Wade, when you kind of look back. And, and of course, we're talking about forgiveness for mom and dad. And it sounds like when you look back and we're peeling this onion, that there's patterns. And so I want to ask you, like, uh, because there's from a – for one, you're sharing a story of how uh, typically when, when someone shares a story of an abusive parent, fortunately or unfortunately, they, it's usually put on the father. And so, you know, the evil man sure. and the fact that your mom, that this happened. I was w- just wondering if you got any backlash just highlighting that. Like, how dare you put, throw your mother under the bus where the father's usually seen as a villain in this scenario? Well, actually... Uh that happened as I was growing up because the reason we went to church, we were made to go to church on Sunday. But, uh, and people would see how we were dressed or they would see markings on us. And it was like, I don't know. It was like, I don't know if they were scared to say anything, but I know when mom and dad would come, which was very rarely, I mean, they, they were just buddies with her and so on. And no one, uh, no one helped us. And it was kind of like we were scared to ask for help, too, because we definitely was warned not to. So um, I was then. I won't say so much afterwards. There was a few times. There's some people that said, no, your mom wasn't like that, and so on. Well, they, they didn't live there. They weren't their child. So, you know, they didn't really know that either. But uh, um, most people, like you said, are surprised because it wasn't the father beating us. It wasn't the father, um, you know, beating her or anything like that. Um, is completely the opposite. And, um, and w- with the church, um, you're supposed to trust everybody, and actually I was uh, raped by somebody in the church. Um, so, um, so that wasn't my, you know, my safe place um, because that, I was haunted by every time I went to church of what happened there as, you know, I was at home. So, um, so yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> sure, and it, it sounds like uh, that second part in, you know, um, sorry to hear about your 
situation that happened at church as well. That's fine. So I can say that. Uh, but the other part, because you, you had alluded earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that every man should go through the draft. And so in Ashes Forged in the Manhood, it seems like, you know, the father wasn't there to help you. What w- Were you gravitating to other type of men to, to establish an identity for a perfect manhood? I was. I was. Um, because, you know, I guess you could say uh, right after after Teresa died, um, I got... I got saved or whatever, and but it just your life don't change just like that because you are out of the home or anything like that. It's it's a process, and I I grew up because uh, I mean my childhood um, I was actually I didn't know it then, which <laughs> just blows my mind. But uh, I was actually in a um, what sex traffic thing because the reason. This person I trusted that was going to get me and my sister out of our situation. Um, he said the only way that we could gain money and so on, and it ended up with uh, with sending me out. Um, and like I said, I, I really never realized that until later. I mean, I realized the abuse then, but I was so wanting to get me and my sister out of the situation, I was determined to do anything, and I didn't realize when I said that what that was going to what that was going to mean. But uh, um, and then so that's why my mind got set where if I could get any um, appreciation, anybody to say that I did good, you know, anything, then I found myself uh, wanting that from other guys because the reason I I I had to figure out what a man was, and that's what uh, um, Ashes Forged into Manhood was my steps through it because the reason at one point I was a clown, uh, Slimbo the Clown, and because I was so easy for me to hide behind that face and enjoy the kids and make them laugh because I wanted them to have what I didn't. And um, so I, so that's how I released that part of it. But I still fought, and I said, what? there has to be something to in this I'm not seeing, so I joined the Army. And back then, uh, boot camp was 13 weeks. <laughs> and uh, um, I was there 13 weeks. I had flat feet. And probably a week, week and a half before we were supposed to graduate, my uh, sergeant came in the shower when I was in the shower, and he noticed my ankles being balloons and, and so on. And next thing I knew, I was getting a honorable discharge. And to me, especially then, if you can't go to get in the army and survive then, then you're not a man. I mean, there's just nothing to it. And that's, at least that's how I felt. And so, um, so it was, it was a walking through and trying to believe what am I? Because I, for a long time after the fire, I just felt I was ugly. I felt I was just to be used by any man, honestly. I mean, that, that was my life at the time, but that was because that's the only thing I believed. I mean, that's the only thing. I didn't believe in anything. I, I felt this is how I am. So, you know, whatever it takes to get through. I want to give a shout out to Stan Lee, who's famous for all the Marvel <laughs> comics and Marvel movies and Marvel television shows. And oh, wow. in a recent show, he has a, a show out called uh, Cloak and Dagger. And, it's, in my opinion, one of the shows that goes deep into how children and women get into uh, human trafficking. And I'd just like for, for a moment, if you could just talk about 
some triggers or some instances that people listening to can either share with their children to look out for because I don't it shows that no one gets up and says, "Hey, I'm going to be a part of the sex trafficking ring." Yet and still, right. it's it's ballooned beyond control right now, and, and there has to be some type of indicators that uh, people should be aware of so they can stay away from that. Is there anything that you could highlight looking back? Well, I, again, with uh, I mean, you know, if you take that, a lot of it has to do with the family. I mean, you have to make sure that they do know they're appreciated or that they're important to you in the family. Um, I think that's, for me, it was so easy for me to fall into that because the reason mom hated me, you know I mean? I got whipped every time I was in the house. Just one time, uh, you know, I was bleeding. I ran into the woods, and uh, here was this person out there, and he was uh, uh, actually – Sniffing glue, <laughs> but anyhow, and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> but uh, um, and and he acted like he cared, and actually, I don't know. For a month, uh, he, you know, was right there, listened to me, and kind of, you know, went with boy. You know, she she's horrible. You know, something should happen to her, and so on and so forth. And I was just being sucked into um, what was about to be. Um, trafficking because the reason I didn't know uh he he said you know this is what you have to do and this is how it's going to have to be and you know I I trusted him actually because the reason he's the first person in my life at that point that cared and so that's one thing you have to be careful is you have to watch who cares in a way especially if they're someone you never knew um you can't just let your guard down. If you decide to run away, for example, then you need to watch who you're talking to because of the reason those doors are all open out there and it's so easy to walk into them. I mean, I had no clue how, uh, how many um, was out there willing to uh, abuse me, I guess you could say. Uh, it would shock me on how many uh, guys I had to uh, be involved with. And so... So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that helps a lot, but, yeah, it's, it's what happens at home. And like I said, there's a lot of runaways, and this is how they end up. Well, they have to learn, they have to be prepared if they're going to run away, what they're going to walk into, and who they could trust. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. It, it also made me think of one of the scariest episodes I had ever seen on television was, was Different Strokes. And it's just always a, a amazing of, you know, what you thought was, your parents being mean, not, I'm, I'm not taking away from what you're saying. I'm just trying to show another side of sure, it sure. where as a child, like in this episode of different strokes, Arnold was so mad at his dad because he wouldn't buy that bike that day. And so in this famous episode, right. the the owner of the bike store was like, man, don't tell your dad, you're right. Don't tell, it starts with, Hey, don't tell your dad or don't tell your parents. And then, Hey, right, I'm right. going to give you candy when your parents say you can't eat candy. You're like, this is the right. coolest man ever. And then they he wanted them to take, you know, underage photos and and be a part of that ring. So it's just so many uh, things that I. That's why I just wanted to highlight a little bit just for people listening, uh, things to to speak to your children about because they're you can't be around them all the time, and it starts out like you said so innocently, and then it's something, the total 360 degrees difference. Right. Right. No. Good point. I. I... I guess I forgot about that 
because of like I said, he he showed me the admiration. He did give me some things, you know, and so on to show you know how much he cared and that we were going to get me and my sister out of the situation we were. And I fought for anything to get my sister out. Um, but of course, this was a year or so before the fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Wade, was there ever a, a, a time before you had children that when the thought of having children that you might be the same way towards them as your mother was towards you, or were you like kind of the opposite? Like, you know, when I have children, it's going to be completely different. I'm going to raise them and love them and, and whatnot. I, I think because of your raising, you, it can affect you because of the reason I was scared of being a father. Um, and there was some times where I yelled or something and my mom flashed in my head and I'm like, okay, I have to step back from this. Um, and so, so yeah, it was a scary, it's something that was, would have been easy for me to step right into, I think. I mean, I hope not, but I think it to a degree there was, but, uh, usually, like I said, if I got upset or things were being handled wrong, I had that flashback or something about my mom enough that it would remind me of, okay, wait a minute, um, we need to put this in check. Yeah. That's a, so that's a good point. point time, you're the only one between you and your brother that's your mother? I, I didn't hear that. I said, same time, you're the only one between you and your brother that's been able to forgive your mother? Yes. If, okay. if my brothers did, um, I can't tell you. I, I, all I have with my mother was the last experience where she died, and even then they had nothing to do with her. So, yeah. um, so I, I don't have that answer for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me ask you about dating because many people don't see it that way, but we often may end up dating or being, having life partners with our parents, right? So girls, if they had a good relationship sure. with their father, they want to marry someone like that. Sure. Did you find in your dating that there were patterns with girls that were exhibiting sim- similar behaviors that your mom was? Yes. Actually, um, my wife, there were so many things about her that um, was like my mom, and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize I was – you get – I don't know if the word's attracted. You're, you're drawn to the same type of people that actually has hurt you. And um, she did not hurt me. She did in ways because of the reason she, she treated the girls real bad. And so that's something I had to battle um, and she was the same way. Uh, she would have taken the girls away from me. It was interesting how that looked at, at that. But uh, um, in certain instances, they were real bad at home, but um, it was put a stop to. It, was, it, it wasn't anything like my mom. Sure. And I'm thinking kind of like, I mean, not on the same level, of course, of, of, of trafficking, but for uh, abusive relationships, they may start out with like a, a snide comment and then a lot of passive right. aggressiveness and then may grow to a physical thing and may not. So that's why that's what piqued my curiosity. 
Right, right. And like I said, I never thought, you know, until later, I never realized how much you do, you are drawn to people that's like your father or like your mother or so on. Um, you know, they, they always say that you, uh, you know, you marry your mother. I mean, you know, someone like that. And, um, of course, I was like, there's no way. And uh, it didn't start off that way. And like I said, and, and she was sick. My wife was. In fact, she passed away from uh, um, from some illnesses and so that didn't help the situation so um i don't know and my girls are fine and they you know they loved her and there was no problem there so yeah sorry for your loss for that as well yeah we were married 21 years <laughs> but i'm new and i was never going to remarry but uh, i met my wife now and we've been married uh, seven years this year so. so would that be phoenix rising from the ashes again there's a ashes for a theme for you and then spirituality and religion right if you if there's a fire or some type of um centered centered around fire there's a lot of spiritual renewal yeah so when you said hey i'm not gonna i'm never gonna like we you should never say never because you just said never right. twice right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> i'm never gonna I get agree. married and then you ran into that so what were there similarities with obviously you don't want <laughs> We shouldn't even ask this question publicly, right? But if there's similarities, right? That's what I was like. I don't. Hey, listen to this podcast, dear. No. See what you cause. No. (laughs) Exactly. But okay, so let's just let's just say um, let's just say that uh, what's a nice way to say? There's no nice way to say it. As a guy, you're gonna get in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> High percentage, what does that work? Um, there, I mean, is there still, yeah, some, but nothing, of course, uh, nothing like it was. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I became so fearful in my life of other men, of any situations. I mean, I protected my daughters, but I don't know. For me personally, I really had some issues, and honestly, my my wife now helped me through a lot of them. Um, and so she was with me when I wrote the book. So she she's been actually a uh, you know a, a main person there to keep me strong and help help me along. So I I really can't complain too much. Uh, she's she's a little stronger uh, personality than. Uh, um, you know, and that would have been more like my mom and that than uh, I was would think I would get into. But I mean, but it's helped me too. So I mean, it, she she knows the situation. She knows where I came from, and uh, so um, you know, it's it's worked out well. But yeah, I've I've still stepped. If you want to look at it that way, I've still stepped somewhat into thing uh, characteristics that uh, came from my mother. Sure. And can you can you share an example? I'm glad that she helped you write your book. Was there a, a tangent that you were going on, and she said, "Well, here's a different perspective." Is there any example you could share about that? Well, a lot of it came through therapy, <laughs> and she helped me get therapy, I guess, because the reason she was there when I had the nightmares, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and she would ask me about the nightmares, and I just didn't know, you know, what the responses would be. Um, I had to see a therapist, and it was through the therapy that all these memories came back. And um, so as we went through them, me and her, you know, she was there when I cried. She was there because it was a lot to take in. In fact, uh, my brother had to get involved and say, uh, yeah, he says, uh, this did happen, Ryan. 
And when my brother told me that he still had his letter from my sister, then honestly, I broke down because the reason is kind of like it was confirmation of everything that I was saying. And um, um, so, so yeah, I mean, in that respect, though, she has, she's been, uh, if I'm, you know, down on myself or whatever, she always says something positive in my life because the reason she knows where all that came from. And that's where my battle is. I have to remember that I'm different and I don't have to be what my mom said I was. And here I'm older now and I should, and that should be easy for me, but it's not. Sure. And congratulations. It sounds like you've made great strides. And it also, you're also establishing a, a new level or a new paradigm, if you will, of manhood because generations right. ago, that was something men didn't do. So how did you overcome that obstacle? Well, um, like I said, I guess on the book, um, I went through different stages of my life to say I had to decide in my mind what was man and what wasn't uh, because the reason my examples of what a man was growing up wasn't what a man was. And as I look at it, um, you know, a man is nurturing, uh, you know, he takes care of his family and so on. Um, but I never seen that. I never understood that. I never understood a man that would care. That just, you know, because of my experience, that just wasn't there. And so I had to focus on what can I do? What makes me a man? Because I had to get out of the mindset of what I was in. And um, it was a search. It was God because the reason, I, um, you know, I, that's how I felt because the reason God had to take me through these steps and help me heal because the reason uh, it was a hard healing process for me until I met my wife then and um, and we dated and I realized that there was something there that I never had, you know, uh, seen in a man or even in my parents' marriage. And uh, so that's what started uh, our marriage. And, you know, I yeah, it was – learned by trial and, you know, misunderstanding some things. Like I said, uh, I was a clown. I went to the Army. I went anywhere, anything I could do to prove that I was a man to myself. I didn't have to prove, you know, other people just couldn't understand why I was like that or why I just didn't believe I was a man. It has nothing to do with appearance. It has nothing to do with, it has to do with the mindset makes you who you are. And I had no clue for years who I was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, your relationship with God, and so did it seem like young when you were younger, it was more of a, a theory, you know, that we read about the Bible and what have you, but today right. it's more right. of your relationship. So how could you explain the, the maturation of your relationship with God? Sure. Um, you're right. I mean, when I was young, we were always made to go to church. We were made to go to these youth groups and so on and these camps. Uh, Christian camps, and it was there that my uh, sister uh, met the Lord, and she got baptized, and so on, but um, I never, you know, from what was going on in her life, especially then, how can there be a God if uh, this is happening to me? Um, But it was through her reading the Bible every night. It was through actually my sister nurturing me uh, that I understood, started understanding, you know, especially after she died. Um, I was so grateful to God to give me that opportunity to tell my sister that I loved her a week prior. Um, that 
you know, I I don't know. Some people may not think that's much, but um, it was a lot to me and always has been. Um, and God has taken me through this to where, you know, because some memories I didn't have, and I feel God gave them to me to learn from where I could, you know, talk and speak it somewhere and, and tell them about it. Because the reason my, my biggest goal is to say that God heals because he is there and, uh, and God will take care of you. But so many people have been hurt so much that they lose sight of that. People lose who God is because the reason in their mind he was never there during the time when in reality he was. I mean, I'm, I'm not dead. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of positive that came out of it, but um, <laughs> it took a while to find it. <laughs> but now I realize on a day-to-day basis of people that's been hurt or abused and so on who keep it quiet in them, and I understand not to look back, but if you could take whatever happened to you and use it to help somebody else for they could say, you know, okay, I, I understand this. I mean, I had someone email me and say that her son was so depressed. And it's, it's kind of comical to me, but she says he was so depressed until I gave him your book. And he's seen that God helped me overcome that. And he says, if it was possible for me, then it's possible for him. And to me, that book is wor- worth that right there. Because the reason I helped them see that God was there. And Absolutely. to have that, to have that email from that mother to say that, um, just you know, it made my day. I said, okay, God, this is what the book was for. You know, mm-hmm. if I never sell one, fine. This is what the book is for. Because the reason it's the message to me that's important. It's not selling a ton of books. I mean, sure, I want people to read them because that's how they're going to know. But, but. Um, it's the message of there's a God there. He's there for everybody. Uh, he heals. I mean, and he was there when we walked through the fire as it is. I mean, it just to have those letters, I mean, uh, everything else is burnt around you, gone because of the wire, because of the heat, because of the water, and because of the fire. And then here, these are reserved. Tell me, you know, in, in my mind, it's like, it has to be God. And, you know, and that's what I, I've held on to because the reason my, my sister was able to leave a legacy um, even though she never realized she would. Absolutely. And, you know, when you can go into a room and some people would, like, drain the energy from a room and you can go into that same room, someone's like a beacon of light. And I was just wondering with your transformations, if your brothers were able to kind of ask, hey, what are you doing differently? What's going on? And and it enabled you to share your story? Well, um, my brothers, one of them, uh, him and his wife read my book, and he called me, and he said uh, they basically cried through the whole thing because it reminded him of our childhood. And, um, you know, he has always supported me. My other brother has told me that he don't want to discuss it um, and that he preferred that I would not talk to him about the book. And... I think in ways it's because he just didn't want to – he don't feel it's a story that should have been told, and it's, it's something that, you know, it should be private in our family. That's my, my guess of how he feels. We, we're close, my brother and I, but I know not to uh, discuss the book. Sure. I think the other side of that question, Wade, is uh, the definition of forgiveness where 
if you don't get it out, you're carrying, you're constantly carrying that with you through every waking moment and while you're asleep. So that may be why it's difficult to forgive. Is is that where you're seeing how oh, you were able oh, to definitely. forgive? Because, mm-hmm. Definitely, because I've seen, I don't, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but I've seen uh, a, someone being chained up, and then they put a wall around themselves because they didn't want to see it, show anybody. Then there was a bigger wall put around them because the reason they're older now, and if you was to see me and what I did and how things were, then you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't have anything to do with me. And so, so then I seen, you know, God come in and break those walls down. He broke the chains down. That way of freedom from all that crap of it's, I'm guilty. It was my fault that this happened or, or look at me and how bad I was. Because if your friends cannot see how much you've grown and what you're, who you are now, then they're not friends. Um, I mean, it should be something that you should be, I won't say proud of, you want to throw a flag up, but at the same time, you should be able to uh, hold your head high and not be shameful of what's happened to you. It wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and we, it's, it's not often that we're able to kind of go through this whole uh, trip, if you will, of, of the beginnings and the trials and tribulations and then going to a pinnacle where obviously your vibration is a lot higher at the end of this podcast than it was at the beginning. Uh, but <laughs> it was a great story that you shared, and I'd love for you to take this time right now to, to highlight your website and how people can get in touch with you and to buy your books as well. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, wademetalsbooks.com is my website. Um, it's fairly new, my website is, and so I'm going to be adding on some videos and so on. I have not done that as of yet. Um, and it is wademetals1960 uh, at gmail.com. Anybody can get a hold of me, um, and I'm willing to help anybody I can. So that's wow. that's what it's about to me. Fantastic. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. Wade, it was a pleasure speaking with you, man. Let's stay in touch. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for being with us. Cheers. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>